Well, good morning. It is so good to be back with you. Last month when I was here, I wanted to tell you the story behind this. I, I said that I ruptured my bicep uh, water skiing, but the truth is uh, the doctors felt like I had too much muscle and uh, they wanted to uh, carve a little bit of that down. So I am a robo guy for a couple more weeks, and I just wanted to apologize that you have to stare at this obnoxious eyesore for a few minutes, and I also want to apologize that you have to stare at my arm uh, as well. But I do know that this month you have been getting used to it as Eric has been teaching in a sling, uh, and apparently he fell off his little bicycle, <laughs> and uh, he, <laughs> I just think it's cute. And then he told us he had to go get a shot, and it made him cry, <laughs> which, you know, now I understand why he watches The Bachelorette. But um, anyway, when my doctor, when my doctor was talking to me about the surgery, he, he used some words that incited my anger. He said, uh, Doug, at, at your age, <laughs> you might not need to actually have the surgery. And when he said at my age, what well, I wanted to say, at, at my age, I could still take you, <laughs> you nerdy little dweeb. <laughs> but uh, I knew that today I would be speaking on peacemaking. And with my luck, he would be here today. And so I chose not to do that. But I'm agree that in the world that we live in today, that people can get under our skin pretty quickly. That, you know, and with social media and all the different things, we are ignited pretty quickly. Because as soon as he said, at your age, I mean, I just felt defensive. Yeah, I'm older. I mean, I'm not like Kenton old, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm older. I, you know you're old when you have the coroner's office on speed dial. But, uh, and here's what's true. Ever since he said, at your age, my Instagram ads have changed. They used to be fitness ads. Now they're like wrinkle creams. And you know, this is actually this week. This was all this week. And Spanx, uh, which is... Which are surprisingly comfortable. Because uh, I've been buying all these to get them to stop sending me that type of stuff, but it, it's, it's not working. I figure after I've now gone public in front of thousands of people, they'll be advertised that this way this week. Uh, that's, that's coming up next. But here's the reality. The reality is that this doesn't just apply to me. This whole idea for many of us in here, we get sucked into this game of trying to improve our outer world. We want to be leaner or, or, or sexier or younger or buffer or more, more attractive. But, and and it, honestly, it's not limited to people my age. I mean, this is a teenage issue as well. For those of you who are teenagers, this is, you know, your world. A lot of times the pressure to improve this outer world. A little pause here. By the way, I love it. I love it that teenagers are here. Okay, I do. I love it. Uh, I, I totally support Eric's decision to have them in the church because they're not the future of the church. They are the church. And if they don't experience church, what happens when they graduate from high school, they just graduate from their faith. So when you see a young person, if you're a Mariners regular and you see a young person coming to church, high five, smile. Okay, give them money, hand them a puppy, do something to, you know, make them enjoy being here, okay? Now, regardless, regardless of what you or I do to 
to change our external, whatever enhancement or procedure or fix, all external attempts at attractiveness, they're just, they're just temporary, right? You know it's a temporary fix. It's not long-term. It's like fixing a pothole in a road. And pretty soon, you're going to be a pothole again, okay? And that's just the way that it works. You can do whatever you want to adjust the outside, but at the end of the day, you're left with your inside. And your inner world, who you are on the inside, determines everything about how you live your life. It determines the decisions you make. It determines how you relate with one another, how you receive love, how you, how you give love. And today we are in the sixth week of this series called How to Be Happy, where we have actually been learning that happiness is an inside job. You know, Eric told us in week one, I love this quote, he said, the happiness Jesus speaks of is not based on your circumstances, but on your character. See, God has actually wired you to be attractive, to be attractive internally, that you and I were made to be attractive from the inside out. And that means that you can be attractive no matter how you look which is good news for me because my kids took a picture of me and put it in one of those old age apps and this is my future, okay? <laughs> oh yeah, I didn't laugh like you just did. I, I slapped all my kids and uh, you know, ran from that. But you know, over the last several weeks, Eric has been doing an amazing job teaching us the Beatitudes. This is the first teaching in the Sermon on, on the Mount. It's in Matthew chapter five. It's a good time to pull out your notes. And uh, this is the ninth beatitude. There's one more left next week. And it says this, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called what? Sons of God. Now the Sermon on the Mount is found in Matthew chapter five, six, and seven. It's called the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus taught from a mountainside. The Bible says everywhere Jesus taught, he drew a crowd. So there's this whole crowd around as he's teaching everything that we read in Matthew five, six, and seven. There had to be people in the back of the crowd. Well, according to a movie that I watched when I was a teenager, which is an all-time favorite, it's a Monty Python movie called The Life of Brian. There were people at the down the mountainside. There was no sound system at the time. And if you ever watch that movie, there's people that they're in the back of the crowd that couldn't hear everything Jesus was saying. And so he said, blessed, blessed all the cheesemakers. What's so special about a cheesemaker? And I just thought, apparently I was the only one who thought that was funny because uh, you, you sure didn't. That, by the way, that's, that's the only voice I do is a Monty Python voice. It's the only one I ever learned. What's the penguin doing on the telly? Stand, oh, I can see that. Anyway, the Monty Python characters were not the only one who misunderstood what Jesus was saying. I mean, how is happiness connected to, to peacemaking? I mean, even today you're going, okay, when you say the word peace, if I was to line 50 of you up and say, when you think of the word peace, what do you think of? I might get 50 different answers. And I put some in your notes, just little bullet points, that when I ask people, when you think of peace, what do you think of? Right out of the gate, people think world peace. 
Okay, world peace. Now this was, I mean, big weekend for world peace, right? The G7 summit has happened in France with all the world leaders there. The Dow on Friday just took a nosedive. We don't know where we're going to wake up to tomorrow with the economy and the China talk and all the stuff that's going on. Plus, we travel behind people on the streets that have those bumper stickers called Visualize World Peace, which I'm not even sure what that means. And I always wonder, why do people that have that bumper sticker flip me off? Okay, because if you put a bumper sticker on your car, I'm going to drive close to you. I'm going to honor you and try to read it. You, you can't have, this is you, by the way, you can't have a visualized world peace bumper sticker and flip people off. You can't do that. You can visualize it. You can't do it. All right. So people need world peace. What else? Future peace. Some of you in here that are my age or older, you're thinking about your future peace, retirement, what's it going to be like, what are we going to do, where are we going to go, what lawn chair am I going to sit in and sip prune juice and, uh, you know, become a burden on my children. I mean, many of us are thinking about that. Or physical peace. Oh, man, this is where I've been the last month and a half. It's just this right here. I have been in pain all the time. Every time the doctor turns my arm, does things. I mean, I can't put on my socks without wanting to be medicated. I mean, it hurts bad, which I ha- that is why we are, we are a medicated na- uh, nation. Because if you want to feel at peace in your physical being, just pop a pill. We know that's an issue in, in our world. Well, what about emotional peace? This is Orange County. This is not some country bumpkin town. People who live here are high stress, driven, a lot of anxiety and fear. This this emotional piece is a big deal. But I think the biggest of all is is relational peace. Relational peace is, is huge. Where we all know that relational conflict, when you are in relational conflict with somebody, it is such a drag because it's right here. It just never, I mean, if it's with your, your spouse or your kid or your parent or a coworker or a friend or a neighbor, when you are in relational turmoil, it is, it is always right here. And your happiness is directly connected to the amount of relational turmoil in your life. And I can't tell you how many people that I've talked to that are just in, they're in constant pain. Primary two relationships. One is husband-wife but also uh, parent-child and child-parent. The people, they, they just can't, for whatever reason, can't figure it out. And here's the deal. I don't know what your, your peace pain is right now. I don't know what it is, but I do know enough about you that you want peace in your life. I also know we live in a world that is in desperate need of peace, and Jesus has given us a roadmap to happiness. And on this roadmap to happiness, he says, hey, one of the routes of happiness is for you to walk into tension, which seems weird, doesn't it? You're going to be happy if you walk into tension. Now, Eric told us that this whole series was going to sound counterintuitive. It was going to sound upside down. In some ways, it was going to sound, I think, weird. And actually, I tell my non-Christian friends who are turned off by Christianity, and when they hear the word Christianity, they roll their eyes like, I don't, I don't like Christianity. And then I surprise them by saying, I don't either. Okay? And then what I do is I point them not to Christianity, I point them to Jesus. 
I said, you know, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, just, if you just, just look at the teachings of Jesus because Jesus is not who you think he is. Jesus taught revolutionary, upside-down, countercultural ideas like, like to love your enemies. He said anybody can love their friends. Jesus said love your, your enemies. He said if somebody slaps you, give them the other cheek. I mean, he talked radical stuff on, on generosity and, and not worrying. And that's the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is a pathway to happiness that really is kind of odd. But true happiness doesn't visualize world peace. It doesn't talk about peace. And I put this in your notes there. The biblical term for peace, it's actually an active term. Jesus is saying do so, happy are those who walk into tension and they make peace. Let's pause, take a pulse real quick. Let me just see where you are. Raise your hand if um, you want to be happy in your life. Let me see. Just curious, okay? Okay, raise your hand if you want more peace in your life. Okay? Now, raise your hand if you love walking into tension. Okay. Yeah, you're called psychos, okay? <laughs> and we're thrilled that you're here, okay? Uh, but for most of us, we kind of did the two out of three, and that's enough to keep going as we consider Jesus' challenge to be a, a, a peacemaker. Now, before we get into peacemaking, real quickly, and I put this in your notes so you can refer to it later, let's talk about what peacemaking isn't that oftentimes gets confused. First, peacemaking is not appeasement meaning that you're always giving in or you're letting people run over you. Jesus isn't saying, hey, you will be happy if people bowl over you. Okay? No, Jesus didn't walk away from legitimate issues. But here's maybe even a bigger one what peacemaking isn't. Peacemaking is also not avoidance. For the sake of peace, you just uh, you avoid the issue. And by the way, Christians are... <laughs> They're notorious for this. And they even kind of they even kind of couch it in pious, sanctimonious terms, like, um, I'm a Christian. And so as a Christian, I don't have a lot of tension in my life. Okay, I, I walk away from tension. Okay, Jesus Jr. Uh, that is you're, that is not a Christian. That that's called a coward. Okay, let me just tell you something. When you ignore when you ignore or avoid a problem, you're not being a peacemaker. You're actually being a troublemaker. Now, that may sound weird, but I know a lot of people, for the sake of peace, they just sweep it under the rug. For the sake of peace, they just keep sweeping it under the rug. You keep sweeping things under the rug for a while, what's going to happen under the rug? You're going to have a mound, and somebody's going to trip over that mound and hurt themselves, and that's going to happen in, in a relationship. So in the long run, those of you who are avoiders, you're not a peacemaker by being an avoider. You're actually a troublemaker. All right, Doug, so what is a peacemaker then? I mean, according to the Beatitudes, you know, happy are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. What, what does Jesus say in the Beatitudes? Well, he doesn't in the specific Beatitudes. See, in each of the Beatitudes, he says, happy are those, and he gives, you know, we've been teaching on it, and then he attaches a reward to it. In this case, happy are the peacemakers, and the reward is they will be called sons uh, of God. But here's what we do have. 
We have the entire counsel of God to know the why and the where of peace. We have from the very beginning, I mean, those of you that know your Bible a little bit, if you were to look like starting at Genesis chapter three, you have the whole, you have the fall of humanity, which began, and the fall of humanity began a worldwide hostility where a, a rupturing of relationships, right from the very beginning, Adam and Eve, their first children were disasters. I mean, Cain killed his brother Abel. Way to start off, humanity, okay? And then we, we start crazy, and it just we go crazy pretty much through the whole Old Testament. Then you get to the New Testament, and there's still some crazy in the New Testament, but in the New Testament, in the Gospels, the Gospels are essentially about God uh, reconciling our brokenness and drawing us to, to him. So as I was thinking about, how do I want to teach this to you today? I thought as we talk about peacemaking, I don't really want to talk about global peace. Yes, it's a very big deal. Don't write me letters. I realize it's a very big deal highlighted by this weekend. But if we're really going to reach the pain in this room, to get to the heart of the issue, we got to talk about personal peace as it relates to relationships. See, most of the pain that I see in life is relationally, relationally based, okay? Relationally based. So, and for those of you right now, because there's some of you, maybe a, maybe a 20 percenter. There's a 20 percenter in this room where you're doing fine in all your relationships. All your relationships, you're good. You're at peace with everybody. And for you, I say, fabulous. You get to visualize world peace right now, okay? But for the 80% of us who have some conflict in our lives, you know, this is, this is for us. Now, for the 20% of you, I would encourage you to still take notes <laughs> because you might be doing good now, but guess what's around the corner? I mean, there is, there is chaos in the rearview mirror gonna, gonna track you down. So uh, based on what I know about God's word, based on what I've experienced in my own chaotic life, and based on what I've observed in people who I think are all-star peacemakers, let me give you what I think are three things that peacemakers have in common that I think you're gonna be able to apply to your life, okay? The first is this, that peacemakers express humility. Now, Kenton talked about this in, in week two, and I put in your notes the definition that Kenton gave because I thought it was great when he said, humility is harnessed strength. That was super helpful to me because I prefer the word strength over the word humble or humility. That most of us growing up, we didn't have be humble on our radar to develop it, right? That when you saw somebody or you heard that word humble or she's humble or he's humble or humility, you kind of thought, you know, like, that's, that's weak and sissy, that the image that comes to my mind, if I'm honest, when I think about somebody who is humble, I think of somebody who takes a knee, like, hello there, I am humble, okay? You know, and, and humble people, they submit to others. And none of us, let's be honest, we don't like to submit. I grew up watching Braveheart, right? Braveheart didn't submit to anybody. Braveheart painted his face blue and yelled what? Freedom, that's right. Mel Gibson is in the crowd. I love you right there. Okay, yeah, freedom. We were taught as a culture, right? You got to scrape. You got to hustle. You got to climb. You got to conquer. You got you to get after it. You got to chase. But culturally and biblically are different. 
See, biblically, you can't, you can't be a peacemaker without some expression of, of humility. So if you take the image of taking a knee, let's just reframe it. Humble people take a knee as a sign of strength. See, when the warrior comes back from war and is in front of the king, the warrior takes a knee, not out of weakness, but out of a greater understanding of who the king is. Friday night, I go to a high school football game. These, these you know, high school students, they're all padded, helmet up, and they are, just, they are out there to knock each other down and to just beat on each other. I mean, these, these guys are studs. And then after the game is over, the coach calls and says, man, take a knee. And they take a knee, not because they're weak, but be, they understand who the, who the coach is. See, humility understands that God is God. See, humility is a security in your relationship with the king of all kings. And humility is connected to security. I mean, think about the video we just watched of Alicia telling her story. I mean, that took security. Okay, that was an expression of humility. That was super powerful that most of it made many of us feel uncomfortable and awesome at, at the same time. But you don't do that if you don't feel secure. And people who are feel secure, meaning I, I know that I'm loved by God, I know that I'm forgiven by God, they can express that security in, in humility. Now, I've been a follower of Jesus for about 40 years, since I was a teenager, and one of the ways that I know that God is not done in my inner world, that, that he's still in the sanctification process of Doug Fields, is that humility doesn't come naturally to me. It, it just doesn't. Some of you, I can see your looks of disappointment in me, okay? I just want to let you know, I am more humble than most of you, okay? Well... Maybe, I, well, I guess not, I, you know, you're not supposed to brag about your humility. But uh, here's what I, I know. Because of God's inner working in my life for about 40 years since I said yes to following Jesus, I'm definitely not as, not as prideful and not as arrogant and not as self-centered as I used to be. I, I still am more than I want to be, but, but not as much as, as I was. And I'm, I'm just being totally honest with you right here. The reason that humility is difficult for me is because of the word me. See, I, I think of me a lot. My favorite subject, me, okay? My favorite song, do, re, me, all right? <laughs> My favorite restaurant, Mimi's Cafe, where I eat sashimi, okay? It, it, it's me. And when, when you are me-focused, Here's some of the results of what it reveals. Me focus obviously reveals selfishness, right? We know that. But it also reveals pride, which is the exact opposite of humility. And my friends, that pride is the very reason we have so much relational difficulties. Because when we're hurt, that pride comes up. And that pride says, I, I'm not wrong on this one. You can't tell me. You know, and all of a sudden we start saying, the, I'm not going to apologize. It, it, was, it, was, it was her. There's no way I'm losing. There's no way I'm losing this one. See, 
Pride is the primary enemy of peacekeeping. Bottom line. Pride is the primary enemy of peacekeeping. I can't tell you how many prideful men I know that have fractured relationships. Prideful women that just can't get it together with other people because their pride is so strong. Now what I've done is I've put together two little columns to try to help explain this. Bottom of your notes on the first page where pride, just juxtaposing them with one another, pride exposes insecurity. This is a little, little side here. But if you see a really prideful person, I guarantee you, you're seeing a really insecure person. They're, they're lonely and they're scared, but they're never gonna admit it, right? Because they're prideful, right? Where pride exposes insecurity, humility actually reveals the security we've been talking about. Pride lectures, I'm gonna make my point, where humility listens. Think about this in your own relationships, in your, in your marriage, in your relationship with your parents. Pride accuses, humility apologizes. Pride wants to retaliate. Humility seeks reconciliation. Pride focuses on the hurt. Humility focuses on the king, King Jesus. Pride wants to win. Humility wants peace. Now, this list, even though I put it together, I stole it from Bible. Let me show you where I got this from. Turn your notes over. Proverbs 11, verse two says, pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. You got a pen, circle the word wisdom. Proverbs 29, pride ends in humiliation while humility brings honor. Circle the word honor. Flip your notes back over. Now on on these two lists right here, here's what I want you to do. On the top of the the pride column, write the word ugly, because that's what pride is. Come on. Pride ultimately is just, just ugly. And above the humility column, write those words we took right out of the Bible. Wisdom and honor. Then look at that list. And here's my question to you. Which person do you want to be? Which one of those do you want to represent your life? And by the way, which side do you think does better in relationships? Because it's painfully obvious which side does better in relationships. Now, a little bit of an aside for those of you who are parents. Parents, what does a humble mom look like? What does a humble dad look like? Well, I'll tell you what they produce. They produce kids who are safe. A humble mom and a humble dad actually produce kids who feel safe. They're not, they're not using intimidation and threats and demanding things. Because parents, if you use shame and guilt as your parenting tool, you actually are, um, you're a bully. It's not humility at all. It's, it's bullying in parenting form. Dads, if you want to create insecure children, then be prideful. Express your pride in all kinds of ways. But if you want to create confident kids who are secure, they are secure under the umbrella of moms and dads who are humble. Does that make sense? You know what I'm thinking right now? I'm thinking, Doug, this is good stuff, okay? (laughs) See what happens? Pride just comes real, just bubbles up right there. 
okay? But the first sign of a peacemaker is peacemakers express humility. Second is this, peacemakers initiate reconciliation and healing. Now, if you've got a pen, circle the word initiate because that's the, that's the action right there. Now, we've all seen stalemates before. I am not going to talk to her. She's the one that started. He's the one. There, there's no, there is no way. You know what that is? That just screams pride. Now, the Beatitudes are at the top of Matthew chapter 5. You read a little bit beyond, just barely beyond the Beatitudes. Jesus is talking about everyday stuff like anger and forgiveness. Now watch what he says. We're still, we're still in the Sermon on the Mount, just beyond the Beatitudes. Matthew 5, 23 and 24. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. See, Jesus is saying, hey, all you religious types, you go to church to worship. You want to be right with me, but then you're broken with everybody else out there. No, go make things right. Don't take the first step. Initiate. Why? Because that's what peacemakers do. Now, I know your defense. You're like, well, slow this one down, Spanky. Okay, because you don't, you don't know what that, you don't know what that person, they're the one who hurt me. They started it. They should initiate and come to me. Okay, Mrs. Pridemeister. Uh, the problem with that is your happiness is at stake. Your happiness is at stake. And so and you may never have that happiness if you wait on them. See, this is why humility and initiation go hand in hand. Because if you're not humble in conflict resolution, if you go, if you go with pride, you're going to attack the person. But if you go with humility, you're going to attack the problem. Does that make sense? See, if you go with pride and you know it all, you know how to fix everything and you've got everything figured out, you're just going to increase tension. But if you go with a humble, sincere apology for the part that you played in the tension, you're going to reduce tension. Okay, Doug, I'm listening. I'm listening, but... So far, I'm 0 for 2, okay? Because I'm not feeling real humble about this. And uh, I don't, I don't want to go and make things right because my pride is on fire. And if I go right now, I'm going to be telling them where to go, if you know what I mean. So uh, what, what, do I, what do I do there? And I would say that's totally fair. That for some of you, you may not be emotionally or spiritually ready to step into the space of a peacemaker right now, that the pain that you are living with right now is so intense that you can't even imagine peacemaking. I know that space, okay? I know, I know that, that feeling. I'm not pretending that this is easy. In Romans chapter 12, which is a fabulous chapter, if you haven't read it, go return, read the whole thing. But in Romans 12, verse 18, it says this. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Do all that you can. Do all that you can. Maybe doing all that you can does not include point one and point, and point two. I'm not ready, Doug. You don't understand my situation. Okay, I may not. I don't know the depth of that pain. You're maybe not ready 
uh, to the humility's not there. Pride is too big. Hurt is too wounding right now. You're not ready to go and initiate. I just don't want you to leave today without anything. So number three is for everybody. You with me? Number three is everybody can do this. Let's take a look at it. Peacemakers follow Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Everyone can start here. And by the way, even if you're not a Christian, if you're kind of on the outside looking in, somebody invited you, you're checking it out, you're curious, thrilled that you're here. But even if you're not a, a Christian, you, you can start here. It's gonna sound wild to you, but you don't have to be a believer to be a follower. <laughs> what have you been smoking? Okay, those pain pills, you're on too many of them. No, think about this. Okay, think about this with me. We're the first followers of Jesus. The disciples were the first followers of Jesus. Believers. No, they were followers. They were curious. They were interesting. They were compelled enough in the rabbi Jesus to follow him, but they didn't believe for a while. So, so everyone can start here. And I would tell people, start by following him in the Sermon on the Mount. Just follow him by reading his words. Read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Follow him in his words. Then follow him by actually thinking about what he's saying. Then follow him by trying some of the things that he says. Try to live the, the radical teachings of Jesus and then see what happens. Because my 40-year journey with Jesus has proven something that I've seen in my life and thousands of others, the more you follow him, the closer you follow him, the more you resemble him. The more you begin to take on his, his characteristics. And one of his characteristics is peace. I mean, even hundreds of years before Jesus came onto the scene, he was already referred to in peace terms. Now, we usually see this scripture around Christmas time, but let's take a look where this, this term Prince of Peace comes from. Isaiah chapter 9. He, Jesus, again, hundreds of years before he was even born, will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal uh, Father, and what? Prince of Peace. There it is. See, not only was he known as the Prince of Peace, Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker. What do I mean by that, as the ultimate peacemaker? Well, theologically, God could have turned his back on every single one of us. Because nobody in here is perfect. Everybody in here is disobeyed and sinned. So God could have went, I wash my hands of them and turn my back on them. But Jesus comes along and he is the bridge because a perfect God cannot be in relationship with my sin. So Jesus comes along and he becomes the bridge between me and God. He was the peacemaker between me and God. And, and it, didn't, it, it, it was costly. It cost him his whole life. Take a look at Colossians 1.20. And through him, this is Jesus, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, I can have a right relationship with God and I can have a right relationship with others. And that right relationship with God begins immediately, that inner makeover, as soon as I put my faith in what Jesus did on the cross. Eric talked about this a couple weeks ago. 
Uh, and I'm sure you've forgotten, uh, but he talked about positional righteousness. Anybody remember this? Positional righteousness. That when he comes in, he takes the position and begins to make you and I righteous, meaning right away we are infused with the presence of the peacemaker himself. Watch. Romans 5, 1. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by our good works, we've been made right in God's sight by moving to the 11.30 service on September 7th and 8th, right? Is that what it, no. We are made right in God's sight by faith. And then we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Now watch, we move from that positional righteousness all of a sudden to personal righteousness, where we now begin to hunger and thirst for righteousness because of what Jesus has done for us. And when we do that, that's when our heart begins to, to, to change. The transformation of our heart is directly connected in our walk with Jesus. Are you tracking with me? That, well, here's what it means. You can't have a peaceful home until you have a peace-filled heart. You can't have peaceful relationships until you have a peaceful heart that is exercised regularly by walking with Jesus. That's what Jesus does. Jesus is the master surgeon. He, He does heart surgery, and he'll perform surgery at any age. Okay. Doesn't matter. Is it at your age? Yes, at your age. It's, it's never too late. And as you walk with him, you begin to take on his qualities and begin to resemble him. Now, you may not be humble now. You may not be able to initiate now. But as you walk with him, what happens is you, then you learn something he says about forgiveness, and you're going to try it. I'm going to try to forgive them once. It doesn't work. You're still ticked. And I'm going to forgive them seven times enough. Then you read, no, not seven, but 70 times seven. And you continue to forgive. And all of a sudden, forgiveness and peacemaking and resolution and initiation become part of your spiritual DNA. And then you're able to clothe yourself with humility and and to initiate. Now, here's what I know to be true. I've said a whole bunch of stuff for you to think about. I also know that for some of you, relationships, there's some, a couple relationships, or one, it's super painful. And you need to hear me. I understand painful relationships. And I am so sorry for the pain that you're in. So sorry. I do know this, pain in our world, it's inevitable. 14 months ago, I had my first grandchild, born into a world, she's perfect right now, but there's gonna be pain in her life. You can't save her from that pain. Pain is inevitable, but misery is optional because Jesus' peace has been made available. That's good news, yeah. That, that, that pain, pain is inevitable, right? Pain is inevitable, but misery is optional because Jesus' peace has been made available. Now, who remembers the reward connected to this beatitude? Happy are the peacemakers, for they will be what? Called sons of God. See, when you're a peacemaker, it's like God says, that's my boy. 
That's my boy. That's my son. That's my daughter. That's my girl. I mean, is there anything, is there any, can you think, you want to be attractive in this world? Is there anything more attractive than you living a life where God goes, that is my girl. That's my girl. That's that's, that's my boy. See, that is the ultimate compliment of being attractive. And that's what I want for my inner world. And that's what I want for yours. And so Jesus, we beg you that we would not be the same when we leave here today. We are grateful for your love. We're grateful for your forgiveness. We're grateful for the way that you you care for us. And would you give us the courage and the power to initiate resolution where we can and where we can't, may we just walk with you and trust that you will take us on that journey to bring peace into our life and our relationships. We ask this in faith, Jesus, and we pray. today because of the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross and because he's alive. Why don't we stand to our feet and respond to him? There is love that came for us humble to a sinner's cross You broke my shame and sinfulness you rose again victorious faithfulness none can deny through the storm and through the fire there is truth that sets me Lift up the name of Jesus. Let your name be lifted higher, higher, be lifted higher. Let your name be lifted high, high above any other name. 
sing a song about sin is broken and it is broken because we have a great peacemaker that is what jesus did he broke that sin so you and i can have a right relationship with god i realize i have stirred things up today okay that you didn't come in here and go oh i hope he gets in the middle of my business but uh so sorry not sorry but what i don't want you to do is i don't want you to leave in turmoil so if there's been stuff that's been brought up you want to be prayed for there are people under those lights over there they come every week to pray for god's people that go to mariners so take advantage of that if there's something going on in your life please be prayed for if you have i want a prayer for healing we have elders that are right out that door and to the right would be love love to pray for you will you hold your hands out receive god's blessing god we are your people And today we pause in the grace of your forgiveness to say thank you that you broke the clutch of sin on our lives that we can have a right relationship with you. We are joyous knowing that uh, we can be restored with you and have been restored. Now we can use that to restore relationships with others. Will you give us the courage? Would you give us the wisdom and the honor that you promise? as we seek after you with great humility, knowing that you are king of We love you, pray in your name. And God's people said, amen, amen. Blessings to you.